0: This podcast is a production of Queen's Public Television in New York City. Visit us on the web at qptv.org. Hey, I'm Mark Bessino, and this is Queen's Creative. Welcome to another episode of the Queen's Creative Podcast, coming to you from Queen's Public Television in New York City. I hope everyone out there listening is healthy and keeping safe. On today's pod, I welcome the talented singer-songwriter, film composer, sound editor, and Forest Hills Queens resident, Ayton Mursky. In addition to the seven album releases credited to Mr. Mursky as an artist, Ayton has also written music for a number of critically acclaimed and award-winning films such as Happiness, American Splendor, Palindromes, and The Dow of Steve. And if that wasn't enough, in addition to his musical work, Mr. Mursky is also a skilled film sound editor, having lent his talents to several Academy Award-winning motion pictures. Listen in on this episode as Aiton and I discuss Aiton's music, his collaborative relationship with acclaimed filmmaker Todd Salons, what it was like to have one of his songs sung by R.E.M.'s Michael Stipe, and much more. Then, after our talk, be sure and stick around as Aiton treats us to a remote live performance direct from his home here in New York City. Okay, let's jump into my conversation with the very cool Aiton Mursky. Hey man, welcome to Queen's Creative. Thanks so much for uh, talking to us. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Um, so I-, I wanted to start, as I do with a lot of my guests, I thought I'd start by diving a bit into your background. Um, so you're a New Yorker, born and raised, a Queen's kid from Kew Gardens Hills, right?
1: That's right. I grew up uh, near uh, Main Street and Jewel Avenue, if anyone knows where that is.
0: Right. Right. So what was it what was it like growing up in that in that neighborhood as a kid
1: for you? Uh well, I don't know. I mean how would you describe it? I mean I uh you know, it's it's like a normal kind of semi suburban area, you know. I mean, yeah. you know, it's uh you know, I I lived in a garden apartment, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is like a two-story building where you have your own door to the street. So it's almost like a house. Across (laughs) the street from me was, you know, there were houses across the street from me, but I lived in a garden apartment development.
0: Now, I thought I read one time, I don't know where I read this. I didn't like Paul Stanley from Kiss grow up in Kew Gardens Hills? Did, did yeah, you ever... <laughs> i read it in <laughs> Wikipedia
1: or something that he <laughs> lived just a few blocks away seemingly from where I lived and both Simon and Garfunkel actually lived over there too even though they're known for attending Forest Hills High School but right. they actually lived in Kew Gardens Hills. I, I do think I read that garfunkel has bar mitzvah at the jewish center of Kew garden hills or it's q garden hills jewish center whatever it's called uh i know when i was growing up that people would mention playing basketball with paul simon's brother in the playground uh <laughs> over there uh there's a uh it was there used to be these playgrounds by park drive east it was called mm-hmm. it's which is like part of uh flushing meadow park but on the other side of of jule avenue which runs right through the park it was another right. And anyway That's, people would say they played basketball <laughs> goodbye to Rosie, I, I queen know. of corona yeah it, you <laughs> know I, he, his brother looks exactly like him I, I guess it's his younger brother and he's also a musician yeah, it's crazy uh, man and but, he looks just like him it's crazy i never heard of the guy told no i mean i had heard of him but i hadn't heard that he was a musician until recently and then and then someone said look him up i, I mean i was just saying that I had grown up and had heard that he lived in the neighborhood. A
0: ton of, a ton of amazing musical talent has sort of grown up in that area. I don't know, there, there must be something in the water. But like, mm-hmm. so so as a kid growing up in Kew Gardens Hills, how did you get the musical bug? Like, how did you play, you know, did you play in the usual high school garage bands, that kind of thing? Uh, what was No, that?
1: not at all. Well, I don't know what it was, but when I, I guess I didn't, I started taking lessons, uh, when I was in 10th grade, I took lessons from a guy who was, uh, I guess he was an old band leader, like in big bands or really? something. Uh, like guitar, le- was,
0: you're talking guitar lessons. Guitar right? lessons. Right, yeah. Right,
1: right. I mean, how I got the bug, I mean, I don't know. I just was I- into it, you know, you a little younger than me, but still, you know, growing up in the seventies, I mean, it was just like, I guess people just wanted to be a rock star and whatever. <laughs> you yeah. there was a mean? lot
0: less distraction. That was like a thing that was like, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. I remember as a kid, too. Yeah, like
1: it just seemed like a lot of people wanted to get into music. I, I, I mean, I wasn't thinking about, quote unquote, getting into music. It was just like, you know, it was just a cool thing to do. You know, it wasn't, I didn't have any plan. I was just, I don't really know. I, I, my mother told me recently that I wanted to learn the piano, but she didn't want to get a piano. I don't <laughs> even remember that, to tell you the truth. Right. But anyway, The guitar is a someone, good, good uh, yeah, you know, yeah. substitute right i think it's because she had a piano in the her apartment when she grew up and i saw that visiting my grandparents or something oh, really but i don't even remember that but anyway somehow got a recommendation or something i guess this guy jerry Otto, he he lived in you know my neighborhood he mm-hmm. was over on um uh, i think it was melbourne avenue near uh queen's college college yeah and he he, he he wrote these books, actually, like he had this cord book that showed you how to figure out different chords with a moving plastic thing that, you know, you could transpose <laughs> oh, wow. everything cool. from one key. And he invented this as a, a double pick, which had this piece of foam in between. So it was <laughs> a stereo pick. Sorry, I think he had advertised it as a stereo pick. <laughs> stereo and pick. Then it, and then it also had a jagged edge on one of them so you could make weird... Really? sounds with that yeah wow, so he's
0: like a he's like a tinker uh he as well was as a... an in,
1: kind of an inventor and he had these books and uh but he whether he wasn't a rock guy he did say he uh, had taught other people at one point and i'm i i i don't i think it was maybe someone from Electric Flag was some was someone one of those guys from Hollis. Or I, I I don't oh, really? I don't remember what he Black was telling me. Black Flag or somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Someone who was famous. Maybe he had <laughs> his claim uh, to fame. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's not alive anymore. It was kind of a weird experience because when my father would drive me over from lessons sometimes, and he would be waiting. I mean, just he would have him sit there. And have and give my father to read, to, uh, not read to listen to on a the late great planet Earth, which is like this evangelist thing. I, I think <laughs> he was some kind of born again guy. And oh, his I daughter, see. Daughter, I looked her up recently. Is into that now. Oh, uh, I see. Self. So I, he's anyway. an
0: interesting character to sort of uh, influence your your musical yeah.
1: beginnings. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, it was kind of unfortunate that I didn't wasn't really playing in a rock way. But it's okay because I just. Uh, I'm not really trying to be a guitar uh, virtuoso. Right, you're more of a a songwriter. That's sort of your thing. Yeah, yeah. But if I had, I don't know what would have happened.
0: I, I, I guess I would have. Well, you must have been listening to to bands, right? Like, what were you listening to around that time as a teenager? Were you,
1: were you? I mean, I assume you're listening to rock bands. Yeah, I mean, I like the Beach Boys a lot. I mean, I was listening to other stuff like the Who, but I mean, I I did like the Beach Boys a lot. And then I took only took uh, guitar lessons, you know. I guess through high school. So in other words, from 10th to 12th grade, I think I took guitar lessons. Uh, and other stuff I was listening to was, uh, you know, just you know, um, things like, I, I was into the Jay Giles band for a while, I, Mink DeVille, uh, you know, sure. things like that. Sure, but, sure. Uh, That's cool. And Nick Lowe there towards
0: the end right. of my high school. Kind of explains your musical taste in, in, in sort of your musical style. Um, you know, um, so kind of that
1: was sort of in your high school years and um, yeah. I wasn't I should mention I was into Jonathan Richmond a lot in high school and that oh, yeah. <laughs> really explains why I could yeah. just play acoustic play acoustic guitar and just sing silly songs that was really was what I was doing you know no that more makes than anything.
0: that makes sense I kind now now that you're saying that I kind of I definitely hear a, a lot of Jonathan yeah, Richman in uh, your, your I first saw stuff.
1: Jonathan Richmond play at uh, when I was about uh, 15 or so in the. In, uh, Loeb Student Center at NYU, which in about 1977, which is, I don't think the Loeb Student, cen- st- the Loeb student Center exists anymore. I'm right. sure there's something there that building. I don't know if it's still called that.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. He's 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 an interesting character too, man. And I could t- certainly listening to your stuff. I could totally hear, um, you know, the inf- influence. Now you mentioned NYU. Um, you know, so sort of going forward a bit, um, you. You graduated from Brandeis, right? But then you attended New York Graduate Institute of Film and Television,
1: right? I should should point out, maybe it's irrelevant, but to explain, I did go to private school in Soho. Okay. Uh, It's this thing called the Elizabeth Irwin High School Mm -hmm. of the Little Red Schoolhouse. Incorporated. I think incorporated. incorporated. Anyway, that's why I was uh, down in the village alone. That's why I was, uh, shows down there. But uh, well, certainly yeah, an influence Then, then I went, you to Brandeis, went to Brandeis. Went to for four years and uh, and uh, came back. Actually, when I was in Brandeis, I would uh, not to jump ahead. I don't know what the structure of this interview no, there's, is. There's no structure. I did play either. when I was in college. I played music and would perform at like the local coffee house or events in, oh, cool. in school. And I would do these like silly songs about college life. I, uh, <laughs> I didn't Brandeis, know that. Yeah, That's Brandeis is a largely Jewish school. It probably still is, but definitely at the time. I mean, it's a secular school. It's not something religious about it. It just happens to be just the history of the school. So mm-hmm. they have in one of the cafeterias, though, they have a kosher line. Okay. Uh, for people who only eat kosher. So I had this song called She's on the Kosher Line. <laughs> it was about this, you know, guy who's in love with a girl who's on the kosher, kosher line. That's great. How that's, And then I had another one called Pre-Med Girl. And just, you know, song right. called In the Library about, you know, just ridiculous college, right. you know, comical, kind of comical
0: so uh, you weren't really playing in bands in high school, but you, but, but in college you started performing as a solo act, just doing like acoustic. Right. Yeah, kind of I stuff.
1: wasn't in a band actually. It, towards the end of my college, because I had played like one big event, there was this thing. I don't think there was any charity involved, but anyway, there was this called Louis D's Cabaret, because mm-hmm. uh, it's in the school's named after Louis Louis D. Brandt, guys, <laughs> right? Louis uh, D's was Cabaret, a Supreme Supreme Court Justice. Uh, I performed at this thing and some guys asked me to join their band and I didn't do it because I was almost going to, I was just about to graduate and they now were you, Now you ask me,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, they weren't around because they were younger. Oh, they, I see. They, at I see. most, they were sophomores and they might have even been freshmen. Yeah, I probably should have done it anyway, but uh, you know, yeah, I didn't do it, so.
0: So now, when you go to an NYU after Brandeis, you you go like I said before to the film and television program. So, which sort of alludes to your parallel career as a film sound editor, which you know we'll talk about a little later. But for now, I wanted to ask why study film and not music, since it seems like you you know that's such a an important you know presence in
1: your life up until that point. Um, you know, looking back, I really don't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> but, but no, but I, I I for some reason I always wanted to. Uh, to be in film, I wanted to be to write, you know, films. Oh, really? For uh, so the as, most part. As a screenwriter. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah.
0: So it wasn't like you were going for directorial kind of stuff or any, or or, you know, uh, well, as a cinematographer. When you're there, you, you kind of you learn everything. You make your own right?
1: films, you make your own films, and you, uh, you write and direct. I mean, it really wasn't geared to people who just write, not direct. And I, I mean,
0: yeah, that's weird. I've heard that before from other people who've gone to film school. They're, they say, like, you kind of have to, they kind of make you do everything. I guess it makes sense. So you kind of learn a little bit about everything. So you, you know, your way around, um, you know, every facet of, of sort of the process, which, you know, I think is helpful. Um, right. I mean,
1: yeah. No, uh, it's, I mean, I'm sure there are programs that are geared, you know, just to, um, just to writing but yeah it's it's really geared to doing a little of everything and certainly direct it's kind of funny because then the people get there and maybe they want to direct and they have no idea what to write and it's you know they just don't know I mean I'm not I'm not separating myself from that I'm just I'm sure you know but it's just like how to come up with anything to actually do is a problem but (laughs) Yeah, no. well, I, you know it's hard to put myself back in the time. I I think I just I wanted to do it. So you didn't really view music as a full time thing. You kind of felt like
0: it was something that you were doing as a as a pastime that you enjoyed, but you do, you weren't really looking at yeah, it as a I formal never, career.
1: I never thought that I was going to um, make a living out of music. Maybe like I thought I would have a band. when I was in, you know high school, I might have like. Had a fantasy of having some band, but it never it never occurred to me that that then I would do it for a living or anything. Um, well, but when sense. I was when I was in film school, I would um, be working on other people's films, and I would start making up you know, ridiculous songs, like summarizing their whole plot and everything. <laughs> right, Carry over from the from the college days. Yeah, yeah. So one guy, I, I, I'm trying to remember if someone actually used. Something that I did, but uh I'm not uh it's also vague in my mind now. Right, right. But uh but anyway I did do this a few times. Uh would make up songs like So the music was still
0: there regardless, even when you were studying the film kind of stuff, you were, the music was always yeah. sort of a, a a constant presence. Um which which sort of leads me to my next point, which is I kinda of wanted to jump back into your musical trajectory. So In 1996, you release your proper debut album, um, the first of of seven as an artist, uh, called Songs About Girls and Other Painful Subjects. I love the title. It's funny. Now, musically speaking, uh, the record sort of establishes you stylistically, at least to my mind, as working sort of in the power pop genre. Um, But the title of the record and its lyric, you know, and the record's lyrics sort of point to what would become as I see it, like a recurring theme in your work, which is humor, right? Like your your song lyrics are always very clever and snarky and, and funny, you know, to great effect. And it kind of goes along with what you were saying about, you know, the, the writing you were doing in college. Um, and I also struck me that aside, you know, in going along with the humor, many times your main characters in your songs are very, uh, they're kind of like sad sacked downtrodden <laughs> kind of thing uh-huh. can can you
1: speak to that thought behind your sort of almost comedic thing let me circle back a little which mm-hmm. is that when i went to film school and i got out of film school and i i was then tried to write some screenplays and in fact i even wrote one with uh, todd solons who, who was in my class and he uh, right i was gonna i was to gonna ask you about somewhat him. big success which well yeah we'll talk about that later but anyway i wrote a number of screenplays with the uh, uh Another friend of mine, and then I wrote one with Todd, and then I wrote some treatments with Todd but anyway a, a, after a few years, I realized like I'm not getting anywhere with this uh now were like, they
0: comedic were they comedic scripts or I mean were they funny films? is that what you were that could tie for the into most what, part this? yeah,
1: for the most part they were for the most part, the scripts I wrote were funny, whether they were really funny or not they, <laughs> they were intended to be i I'm not right I, you, I'm you, not, your intent your intent right yeah yeah i um you know, I, I didn't, I'm not saying they were great scripts, you know, far from it, I'm sure. But my point was I tried to, to do this and uh, uh, for a while. But I wasn't trying, like, all out. In other words, I was, you know, I, had, uh, I was working in a real job. I wasn't, you know, like, so, you know, I wasn't even giving it, quote, quote, my all doing that. But anyway, after a few years, I decided, like, I'm not really going to succeed at this. Uh, Then I started to do music again Mm -hmm. more because, you know, it's like if you wanted to make your own film, like assuming that I even thought I could do that. uh, It would, you know, cost a lot of money, even though at the time you had people making, you know, cheap films like Chen is missing or, you know, she's got to have it or things like that. Sure. Still but, expensive. You know, cheap film was right. still expensive at that time. It's not like cheap film today, you know, if you think right. about it. Right. Now you can make a cheap film on your phone <laughs> and it would cost you nothing or whatever. Right. I mean, theoretically. Theoretically, not not, right. Obviously, you'd still have the good good story and you'd have to have a, you know... Yeah, you'd, you'd have to have to all figure, the moving parts. But, figure out how to do it cheaply. But it wouldn't cost but, you $10 million, yeah. Right. But then you had to have film and cameras and whatever. I mean, you know, but regardless, I, I mean... I you you do music, you could do it much cheaper. And I had a friend who was in a band and he had like home recording equipment and, you know. Right. So you kind of went about Uh, it that way. So that was at at a sort of
0: inflection point for you where you're sort of like, hey, maybe this screenwriting thing isn't going to work out. So you started uh, channeling your creative energies a little more seriously into
1: the songwriting Right. I mean, again, it's not still I was didn't still didn't wasn't thinking I was making a good living out of that or something. I was just like, well, there's a good another way to make be creative. And it doesn't, you know, and, and, and also you could another outlet actually can. complete something you're not, you know,
0: yeah. Right. You're not dependent on all the other moving parts and it's a three minute song that you're writing as opposed to right. filming mean, actors and, you know. Right. But and, or,
1: most of the time, even if you're writing a script, it, it, like if you're writing a script to try to get it done by someone else, it'll never get done. And even if you sold it, it would just be sitting somewhere, which, OK, but at least you made the money. But I'm just saying, like, you write a song, you record a song, at least you can record it, you know, or, or it exists, you can perform it and. Uh, so that was my thinking there. But as far as the first album, yeah, I didn't really even know. And maybe you're in the same, I I assume you were in the same, but like I didn't even heard of the term power pop. I mean, <laughs> at the time when I was recording the, my first album, I didn't even know that such a thing existed. Just like I listened to... It's such you know, a weird term too. ...music. Yeah. I just listened to that kind of music. I did listen to the Rubenews... Uh, when i was in high school and i'm sure there were some other bands um also of that time period that fr- of but that i was, genre, I didn't right. know there was any classification i mean you know i, I don't think i it, knew
0: either back then you know just but
1: uh, i mean like I've, i listened to oldies radio a lot so you know that kind of music or whatever you know it's, it's very melodic like, you know there bands like that yeah. like i said i like the beach boys but i mean if you're taking just singles by like Tommy James and the Shondells or the Grassroots or something. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't, yeah,
0: right. No, I, I hear you, man. I, I had the similar experience. Like I was writing, and I, I, I very similar to what you're saying. I mean, I remember one A and R person, like a cool person at Columbia that I was talking to early on, and they were like, you know you're really like a pop guy do you know that like you should really <laughs> you should really write like that you know like you should really accentuate that because it sounds like that's really what you're doing naturally um and that's funny because that sort of you know made me think twice and I you know I I sort of focused in on that um before I made my first record just to uh you know like take their advice and be like yeah you know is it kind of I kind of do like I don't know what you call it but I do like you know, ultra melodic music and, and, uh, you know, I think everything that you're describing, you know, is seems to sort of fit that same bill, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess as an element of, it was just, uh, you know, that it was kind of an outdated style by the, by the time that, you know, we were doing, uh, but, um, I didn't realize it was a movement of anything. I guess I was just doing things that were, that I liked when I was younger, you know, or, something in that in that vein and also during that time
0: you had you know in that like 96 like around the in the in the late 90s I think there was that sort of resurgence of you know at least on the underground sort of music scene there was a resurgence of that kind of music you know so I think you yeah I mean by the
1: time I was making my second album which you know I'm sure we'll get to but I mean I I was more aware that there was because I somehow became aware of it and and you know Um, sites that sold that kind of music and magazines so I I was more aware that was a thing and I might have like accentuated that a little more in that direction but in terms of the lyrics you were asking me like it's interesting because in the first album I was I, I didn't have any particular focus it was just my natural way of doing it and I was just writing pop songs and I guess the personality of her—it you know, was somewhat humorous—and people reacted to the lyrics. But I hadn't thought about that much. And then when they did, I then I focused more on the lyrics subsequently and other things. But there, I was just trying to write songs so I could do this album. <laughs> you know, it was just, I was just—I was just like I want to do something, and I—and I. This is you know just what came out. Yeah,
0: but, I, know, I noticed that. Like you mentioned, you know, your subsequent records. It seems like you. It seems like you go, you know. Further into that sort of, uh, you know, into that well, so to speak, it's a bad expression, but just like you're you're mining more of the comedic kind of vibe, I think as 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 you progress, as you get into your second record and stuff, it sounds like that becomes almost like the like an you know an Aton Mer斯基 sort of signature thing. At least I you know when right. I listen no, to your stuff, I think
1: it's definitely true because in the beginning, as I say, I was just like, hey, I just I mean, I'm writing songs and I need lyrics for these songs. I mean, I wasn't you know. I wasn't trying, I wasn't deliberately necessarily, you know, thinking about it. Then when people were like, hey, I really uh, enjoy these lyrics or they're so fun, fun, they weren't like so funny. I mean, it wasn't, you know like a left right or anything but like I'm oh really I mean no I didn't even know you felt that way okay that's you know
0: it seems sort of like a natural extension from what you were doing you know uh, from what you were describing to me you were doing in in college and in film school it's sort of like you were just kind of writing these funny songs that people were noticing and then it just seems like it's something inherent to your personality that you just you know
1: you're you're that kind of you like to yeah, exactly. But then when people were making a point of it when I hadn't even been... Like, I thought I was writing normal pop songs. And <laughs> right. you know? then I was like, oh, I'll, I'll accentuate that even more because you're actually reacting to it, you know?
0: Right. Yeah, that's always a... You know, you get feedback from the audience. Oh, that works. Hmm. You know, it's kind of cool. And I and I think you're great at it, man. I mean, I think, you know, I think you're you're really great at it because I think, you know, there are some people that do it. Um, You know, I've done it myself. It's just, you know, I think there's there's a fine line between where it gets like, like, I guess you, you, I feel like you kind of have to walk that line. uh, And I think you do it perfectly. You know, you don't want it to be like too like yuck, yuck, you know? And I think that you want to have some, you know, sort of uh, gravity in it, some pathos, which I think you have, you know, you kind of use that to use the, the, the the comedic sort of thing to your advantage in telling a story and, in getting a feeling across. But, not in a way that it becomes like a, you know, like a joke so much. And I feel like it yeah, still supports... I don't supports...
1: like songs in general that are like, yeah, total jokes, because uh, I don't think you'd really want to listen to them over and over. Maybe there are people who do listen to those songs over and over, but... <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. I th- it's a great use of humor. I mean, the way you're doing it, for sure. You know, um, aside from your work as an artist, you know, I I wanted to talk a little bit and and have some time about um, talking about that you've also done a sizable amount of music work for film, right? So songwriting for film, like you've contributed songs to some critically acclaimed and award winning movies like Happiness with Philip Seymour Hoffman, American Splendor, starring Paul Giamatti, The Tao of Steve, Palindromes, like...
1: Yeah, actually, that's a good segue that you're making because that's exactly at the point where I actually started to get into it. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. after the first album, I, I I'm, I'm losing the chronology a little, but I because I, I know I had a song from my first album just in the background of a film. I mean, I didn't write it, especially if it was and you could barely hear it. It was <laughs> it was like a sync thing where they is after
0: not per- not purpose Blue, not purposely Desert written.
1: Blue was the name of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Christina Ricci was in. It. Maybe even. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking <laughs> on the people's names. It's a long Goldie time Horns, now. What's this Goldie Hawn's daughter? Oh, name?
0: um, oh yeah. I'm 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 <laughs> blanking too, man. Uh, uh. Oh, I'm gonna come around it from the back anyway, end. Anyway, <laughs> there were there were other
1: famous people in the movie anyway. But but the point being, like, I think I might have had that before Happiness. But I mean, it was, it was a lot of these films that are were produced by the same company, Good Machine, which was a. Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson, right, right. Okay. I was trying to think of the father's name so I could remember I was, That's why I said I'm going to
0: approach it from the back. Mark Hudson from the, from the right. Hudson Brothers. It's, right. You know, it shows right. where our heads are at, man. We're, right. we're talking about obscure pop bands from the 70s and their daughters. Right.
1: <laughs> at that time, so I, as I mentioned, Todd Solons was in my film school class and um, he um, was making his... Uh, what actually was his third film, but mm-hmm. uh, most people don't know about his first film. But he had, his second film was a big success, which was oh, Welcome to the Dollhouse. And now he's sure. making the next film, Happiness. And uh, one of the characters is an aspiring singer-songwriter. And he needed a song that she had written, I mean, in the context of the film, that this character had, would perform a song so he gave me a few ideas and I wrote you know you know bits of three different things I think and then he chose the one that that became the song happiness so um that's great and then having and then you know so she sings in the film and then they worked it into the score too and then <laughs> As a theme. And then ultimately, Michael Stipe did a version, and so I expanded it with more lyrics, so, you know, and then Michael Stipe I was going to
0: ask you about that. I was going to say, like, ultimately, Michael Stipe, you know, lead singer of one of, arguably one of the most, you know, famous rock bands, uh, REM, uh, sang the film's title track, right? So, like, how does it, I, I'll just stop you right there and ask you, how does it feel to have, you know, uh, you know, the superstar lead singer of a huge rock band sing one of your songs, you know, in a movie, no less, you know,
1: (laughs) like what does that feel like? It it was crazy at the time. I mean, it was really, um, you know, an an amazing thing at the time. Uh, you know, and especially I was involved in the recording. I mean, I didn't even know what I was doing too much. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I, I was like supervising the recording of the track and then we sent it to him and he sent it back. But, um, so I wish I knew, you know, if something like that happened now, I, I would be more prepared to do it. But you know. <laughs> right, uh, maybe, maybe but anyway, it was better. Maybe it was better. It, it came out. It came out <laughs> fine, but uh, it, it was definitely a weird experience. Although they were a little on the downside, and and you know, and in fact, it was a weird thing because. He didn't want there to be any, he wouldn't allow the song to be on a soundtrack album because R.E.M. was putting another album out at the time as if oh, that I'd was going to compete, you know, or <laughs> tension. It could have, uh, maybe, I guess, yeah, when you're up in that level of, you know, of the world, you know. I guess, but it's like, you know, maybe it would have been a sensitive thing within the group because they weren't involved in playing on I, Right, I don't right, know, right. But, yeah, if it would have been the band, maybe. Yeah. So that was a little disappointing in the sense that, like, they couldn't release, you know, the song as a single or, or even as an album. What am I talking about? A single for, you know. Um, so it was just
0: in the movie, but nonetheless, man. I mean, just an, yeah. what an no, incredible it was, experience! It was great right?
1: because, like I said, that was one of the biggest groups of the last decade at that time. Sure, uh, sure. I wish I had known more about how to submit songs. Not not to say I would have gotten Academy Award nomination, but I wish I had known about the process. Like they're always changing the process, but I still think it probably was the same and probably is the same now that you have to basically submit it yourself and attest to the fact that you wrote it for the film. Oh, I see. Yeah. Like they don't assume that any song that's in a film was written for the film because clearly that's not true, you know some sort uh, of added after the and after the producers the didn't even tell me anything about it you know like there was a process so i didn't do anything for that film again i'm not saying yeah all that stuff
0: happened. is so mysterious man you know i think i think it's you know it's in that stratosphere of uh you know hollywood you know weirdness <laughs> designed to right. uh you know game it so that you know they can kind of do what they want as opposed to you uh you know given the little guy a shot
1: um, yeah i mean the thing yeah no because they have look look you get disney every year you know that's what i'm saying like and there's big money behind getting all those disney songs so, i mean it doesn't yeah, matter or yeah. any um, number of other big films they're really pushing and you know but yeah. uh, at least with michael stipe involved like maybe they would have yeah, wanted, for sure. Like, hey, this would have been good. Maybe someone would have said, like, yeah, well, we'll have Michael Stipe perform. So that would be good. I'm going to vote for this. You know, I mean, still they'd have to be aware of what the song was. I mean, they're they always changing the the um, methodology. Like, the reason why I say it's because later on when I did find out and there, were, there was a certain year where you had to submit the song yourself and show where it was used in the film, and then they screened all those things. So oh, I mean I then they so they were always changing the rules and I don't even know, but you know.
0: Hey man, uh, you know, look. Right. right? it was chalk
1: it big, up to uh, uh learning. It was a big uh thrill then at the time. And then from that is how I got um some of the other bigger songs that I got, because I was then hanging around the Good Machine office uh and they were and I was talking to one of the guys who was worked as a the producer there and I was like, Hey, well you guys doing anything else, you need any music? And um by then I guess I had done a, a second album
2: yeah, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm.
1: called Get Ready for Aton and uh and they said, Well yeah, well we're working on this film, The Dale of Steve, you know, if you want to you give me some of your music. I'll get it to the director. And I had this second album, and they gave it to her, and she and her editor started, you know, putting songs here and there into the. Oh, uh, that's cool. Movie sort of, sort of spec. The weird thing is, too, she was she had gone to NYU a couple of years behind me, so she knew who I was. I didn't remember. Oh wow, you know, who cool. She was, but uh but then a while later, they go like, "Well, you really." um we really like your music, so could you come down and look at the movie? And um, we need a song for the uh, tail credits. Oh wow! So I go there, and I they put me in a room to watch the movie with another guy who I think was the guy who wrote the score to that other movie I was talking about, Desert Blue, because oh, wow. that was another one of their movies they had done. So we were watching the movie together, which is weird because we we're weird, both there yeah. for the same reason. <laughs> Uh, but okay. Um, and, uh, and then I'm watching this movie and I'm realizing like, you know, and anybody who's seen the Dove Steve, it's about this guy who develops this philosophy of picking up women by being a quote unquote Steve, which is, you know, he's got these three rules, which is, it's a great movie, you know, be distant and aloof. But he's, and, he's referring and, to Steve McQueen. Right. He's got right. Steve McQueen, um, Steve Austin from Hawaii Five O, and um,
0: that's right, that's right. I forgot about the other Steve.
1: There was another, there was another third. Um, <laughs> I'm just blanking out in this in this interview, but there were three that three in particular that they mentioned.
0: And that was what uh, uh, that was Donald Donald Lo- what was his Well, it's just
1: Donald name? Donald Logue, yeah. yeah,
0: Donald Logue. Right, right, right.
1: Yeah, but yeah, movie. but the preeminent one was Steve McQueen. But uh, there were two others that they mentioned, as I say, Steve Austin and um. <laughs> blanking on it the, the, on the, the hawaii one. 50
0: guy i think was his name right. steve yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah steve oh steve mcgarrett, McGarrett oh yeah right, right. Uh, and then i said steve austin the the six million dollar man i was just mixing the two of them together i was, <laughs> I was crossbreeding them, cross-breeding them Yeah, yeah rich. yeah steve mcgarrett and steve austin not steve austin the wrestler steve austin <laughs> you know and the six million dollar six man. million dollar man but for, i mean you know as they point out you know name doesn't have to be steve for it's the just, kids of the, the 70s it's just the philosophy but um,
0: yeah, it's a funny movie, man. It's, um, it's funny.
1: So anyway, as I'm sitting there, I said, "Like you guys aren't be- gonna believe this." Well, I didn't say it well, as I was saying to myself. Like, I had written this song called "I Just Want to Be Your Steve McQueen" a few months earlier wow. because I was working, uh, doing sound. Actually, as you mentioned, I was a sound editor, so I was doing sound for a short film uh, that was written and directed by this guy named Barry Strugatz, who wrote the script. For a married to the mob, mm-hmm. and this film was like a Cinderella story. It's this real schlubby guy who's working in the mailroom somewhere, and he he gets picked on at work, and he gets picked on on the street, and uh, you know, and his father, who's played by Bill Macy from Maud, oh sure, uh, makes him clean up the house while he's going off to Atlantic City on a gambling <laughs> trip. Right. So, and then one night, while well, in the middle of the night, he's watching television i mean he falls asleep he wakes up and and uh the great escape is playing and then he has like an outer body experience like (laughs) lightning is hitting and then he (laughs) starts shaking and all that and he's like possessed by like he's going to be like steve mcqueen so i i said to barry i like look if you if you want i'll write you a song and you know you could use it not use it whatever do whatever you want you know sure so i so i did and then he put that on the tell credit to the movie. Oh, okay. So I didn't know that. I, I was like, I'm watching this movie where the guys also, act, you know, philosophy is like Steve McQueen and they didn't know that I had such a song. They just called me into wow. that's right then. That. I was like, well, you guys aren't going to believe this. When I got out of the screen, I said, like, you guys aren't going to believe this, but I already have this song that I recorded a few <laughs> months ago called I Just Want to Be Your Steve McQueen. And they were like, what? You're clairvoyant. Yeah, it was weird yeah. because one person was like, and I can't remember who is who, like, uh, I think my point is they weren't, they didn't seem that excited about it, you know, which like, what are you talking about? You just called me in to write a song and I'm telling you, I have a a song that's exactly like, and it's not like it's a
0: song about like sunshine or love. It's a song about a really specific,
1: like thing. Right. I mean, like, not be more, uh, (laughs) you know? Okay. But then they did get into it. And then I, and then I wrote another song, while I was at it, maybe partly because they didn't even seem that excited about the first. I, I don't remember, but I wrote this other song, you know, just summarizing, it's kind of back to my film school days, like summarizing the whole movie called The Dow of Steve, Isn't It Time? Because I'm saying, isn't it time you learned about The Tao of Steve? So they <laughs> ended cool up not, not using the... Steve McQueen's song for the tail credits they ended up putting that in the movie in in a scene towards mm-hmm. the end mm-hmm. montage and then using the other song I wrote on the tail credits so they used both of them
0: yeah I remember uh, seeing that I think I saw that film at the Angelicos. it's it's uh it's it's a cool movie man and there's catchy yeah, songs yeah I remember man.
1: being in touch with you around that time that's around the time when we when we first met uh, and we we went to see uh Mike Faiola and that's right and we things, went to see I uh think. I think so, yeah
0: at Fez or something I think that's that's yeah yeah long long lost fez man those those were were right. cool days um mm-hmm. but you know you'd mentioned before Todd salon, so i wanted to i wanted to just get into that a little bit, um you know, I was curious about how your working relationship and sort of the collaboration uh and you touched on it a little, but how did that working relationship and collaboration uh, with Todd come about? I mean, did, was it just you were the college buddies and you were writing together like you'd mentioned? Or, I mean, how did that sort of...
1: Yeah, well, uh, basically, yes. I mean, he had a, his previous movie, Welcome to the Dollhouse, had a lot of music, which I wasn't involved in at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just, whatever the working relationship with the woman who did the songs for that, he, you know, didn't work out or whatever. Okay. So, I mean, I, it wasn't like, but you know how it is. It's not even like initially that he was committing to using anything. It's just like, look, I need these songs. You know, I'll give you a shot to try to do which is it. Great, it wasn't which like, is great. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, like if he hadn't liked anything that I had presented, he just would have done something else that wouldn't, you know, and that would have been it, you know. But I you mean, guys were friends. I mean, you hung out and college. I mean, I guess, were you close friends yeah, yeah, or were yeah, you know, just... We, uh, like yeah, working yeah, partners? Know. No, no, we were we were friends. We were friends, so it's like you know, I was seeing him, see him all the time. I not 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 now, but I'm saying at the time, time sure, him, see him all the time. So, yeah, he was just like, well, you could uh, give it a shot, you know. It wasn't, but like I say, he wasn't making any commitment, so it was hey, nothing. Was, you know, he wasn't. Great. Uh, there was no risk on his part, is what I'm saying. Not that there was a great deal of risk on my <laughs> yours part either. either. Great. Right? Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. No. That's cool. That's cool that uh, you know that you guys had developed that sort of relationship and you know mm-hmm. carried it on, um, you know a couple of uh, a couple of movies in and stuff like that. Now, I we were talking about the film thing, but I just wanted to uh, ask you this. Like, so obviously you enjoy writing for both film and yourself as an artist, right? So, how do you approach writing, say, a tune for a film project? You know, as opposed to writing a song for one of your records is it the same is it different uh how do you, how do you
1: go do you look at them differently go about it differently i actually like and i've noticed this long you know as i've gone on but is that uh just anything to like that like an assignment like that is good because you're you know then you have a reason to even be doing anything you know and then and then it's a challenge to uh put your own personality into it even because like they want something but then you're you have your own personality and they're probably asking you to do it for that reason but you know uh but somehow to get your own personality into what they're trying to do you know right right but just just the fact that someone needs something is you know uh you know, it gives you motivation to even do anything. But It's assignment driven, saying. like you said. But like in the last few years, I mean, it's it's not even a few years anymore, but I, I belong to this group on uh, that a friend of mine created on on uh, Facebook where mm-hmm. uh, he puts up a theme and every couple of weeks, you, within that time period, you could either post yourself performing a, a cover of some song that fits the theme or oh, you cool. could write an original song. So like, in the last couple of albums were, you know, almost all songs that I wrote for those oh. th- assignments. So uh, in, a, in a way it's bad because I almost don't write anything anymore <laughs> other than like for these prompts that, you know, come on. And it's not like I'm writing all the time then either. I'm just, if something strikes my fancy, but like, uh, yeah, I've kind of gotten out of the habit of just even just spontaneously writing something quote unquote for me. I mean they're all for myself at this point anyway but well it's interesting because I've heard that said before like
0: one thought comes to mind you know um the late Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne I've I've heard mm-hmm. him talk about that. And, and you guys have similar parallels. He he used a lot of uh you know humor in his writing um and sort of mine that the sort of the melodic thing too but I'd heard him in an interview mention um you know that he preferred assignment writing because he like you had done work for films and 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 says so it was kind of interesting he said the same thing it's sort of like you know preferring that having that assignment and then jumping off from there and putting yourself into it in your own you know personality um you know so that seemed to work for him
1: if if you're writing quote-unquote like just for yourself just for whatever you are spontaneously thinking of I, I think that's more of a tendency to just write the same thing you know That's true. You know, obviously as you go through life, I mean, other things could, you know, well, more in your case, but (laughs) like if you have a family and you're, you know, you're having kids, I mean, things are happening in your life that might make you write different songs. Not that you're going to write autobiographical songs. That's not necessarily. No, it's it's
0: definitely true. I mean, I I could attest to that for sure. I mean, I I think my my third record, uh, once I was married and had a kid and certainly, you know, totally reflects that you know it's 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 for sure if you have you know if your different experiences are going to prompt things but but I think what you're saying in terms of the assignment stuff is is cool is that it's it does give you a hard and
1: and sort of uh fast target um you know whether yeah because I mean like who what would I mean would I have ever written a song that mentioned Steve McQueen (laughs) you know if I hadn't been you know of course, had a reason to no I, mean, I created my own assignment initially because I said to the guy I'll write you a song but, right but still based on his sort but of, still yeah. you know I'm just trying to pitch it to him but like it's still an assignment in a way you know I mean and then this um, and happiness similarly you know he just okay the film he wanted to call the film happiness so the first it was the character was joy so it was like at one point it was going to be called joy and happiness <laughs> but I mean like you know it's you know I and then then when we're talking about other films I mean then American Splendor I actually uh, my friend who had cast uh, Todd's films mm-hmm. know, did she work she definitely worked on Happiness I'm I'm not remembering if she worked on Welcome to the Dollhouse my friend Anne Golder anyway mm-hmm. she called me into actually audition to play the part of Harvey Pekar in American Splendor oh really now. What if it was because they were just calling everybody in and just trying to? I mean, I'm not an actor, really, but I mean, I would do it if someone paid me wrestling. <laughs> right, but, right. but my point is, like, whether they were just calling in a lot of people to show that they were leaving no stone unturned, or mm-hmm. what actually her thinking was. Uh, anyway, I meet with the directors, and they were like, uh, "What? Wait a minute. Are you an actor, or are you a songwriter or a musician? However they put it, because so, they knew so I did songs. So wait a minute. They wanted you to try out for the Paul Giamatti role. Right, right, right. Okay, that's what I initially went in for was that's, the Paulie Monty yeah. role. That's, that's
0: crazy. I'm sorry, yeah. to interrupt you. Go ahead.
1: Oh yeah, no, no. Please do. No, so I, I, I you know, auditioned the few scenes. You know, I had the few scenes of script and went in and 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 read them with the director. Mm-hmm. And then they were, you know, it's like, well, I don't understand. Are you an actor? It, well? <laughs> I, 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 first of all, I said a few different things because I'm like. Well, I'm like whatever you got, you know. But also, it was the sound editor, as I said. So I'm like, really, whatever you got, you know. Sure. You got any? anything? jobs Jobs. You got. Any anything, right? jobs if you got. <laughs> and then they were kind of joking that they want. Like I could write a song, but I didn't really get the sense that they really wanted a song. But but I just, I just said to myself, well, okay, I mean, I'll write you some song. So then I went home and just took various things that were said in the script various concepts in the scripts and and made this song send it to them again then going when, back to your college days of of yeah, yeah, yeah. like
0: you know uh, summarizing things it's really funny how, right. how that stuff exactly. helps you later in life right
1: right so then I I uh, went to um, another audition well probably again I think they what they, they called me and said well uh, well some bad news um you know, HBO decided that uh, they need a bigger <laughs> name, so uh, we're going with Paul Giamatti. Like, first of all, I didn't think he was that big of a name, but he's certainly a bigger name than I am was or anything, whatever. Uh, and I said, uh, you know, and I really look, I didn't, I, I never thought I was getting the part anyway, so you don't have to apologize. I mean, but then it was like, oh, could you come in? call me again and read for these other smaller parts of like two lines or whatever. Uh, then I, after that, then they call me and say, okay, well, we, we feel like we can't catch you in these smaller parts because you're too much like Harvey. I, I you know, I, I didn't think I was too much like Paul Giamatti, but okay, fine. Yeah, whatever they want, more contrast with these other smaller different characters. roles. But the good news is we've, we decided to use your song and we're writing it into the scene <laughs> where. Uh, he, you know, he goes to see this play about himself, and it's going to be this big pivotal thing that's that you know is a transition from one part of his life to another. Oh, okay, great. I mean, well, okay, you, you know, you'll be in the scene, you'll perform it. That's yeah, that's uh, fantastic. The only bad thing You're, is you'll have to pay. You're in the movie anyway. <laughs> you have to pay your own way to uh, <laughs> to, Cleveland. to Cleveland. Okay, whatever. So it's basically, like. That still used a great up all the money that I was making, but yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, who you know, who wouldn't uh, accept it? I mean, so you uh-huh. end up in the
0: film anyway. You're not the Paul Giamatti character, but you're in the film and you're singing your song that they're using. Right, it's awesome.
1: Right. You know. The only bad thing was that they only had me do basically the chorus over and over again. I wish oh, i had I gotten to do like a verse at least or something. You know, it plays. It plays song. good in the film. It definitely plays. Oh yeah, right yeah. Now. No, but you know, I guess. Look, it is. It Great. is what it is. <laughs> but it. Uh, but, uh, but the uh, um, but the good thing about that was that, you know, I went to the, um, I don't know what it was. It was a cast and crew screening. It was mm-hmm. some kind of premiere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it must have been, it couldn't have been just cast and crew, because Paul Giamatti was, well, he's in the cast. So, But, I mean, Harvey Pekar was there. Oh, wow. Cool. It was a whole event where they had, you know, down by the Chelsea Piers, mm-hmm. With, mm-hmm. Uh, all the food that, like, Harvey Peaker like like hot dogs <laughs> jelly beans I, I don't even remember all what the stuff donuts. that he likes I, yeah. I, I don't know yeah it was a big party and I get there and I'm like oh man how come you're not on the album people were asking me I'm like I didn't even know there was an album you know and <laughs> classic what, album, you know, classic showbiz soundtrack show album you know which I had I hadn't mentioned but I, I did have my two of my songs from the the Dow Steve were actually on the check album but anyway which it didn't sell any copies so whatever <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah you well, know man it's the crazy of the business. If the main if the main songs on the soundtrack album were by me, then you know it's not gonna sell too much. <laughs> I mean there were some other songs, but they weren't like unique to that movie. They had the lemonheads and some other things. But but anyway for this thing there people at the American Splendor Party they're saying like, Well, how come you're not on the album? like, I don't know. Oh, well, and I see they were giving away the album. And I'm like, and then people were like, well, these are just songs that Harvey liked. Oh, I see. Not that he put together the album, but that's the way they're like, well, these are the songs, you know, because he was a jazz critic. And these are things that, you know. That he felt representative of, yeah, what he was into. I mean, look. I don't even remember if that's true like were the Pretenders not on there there were other rock songs in the movie not that my songs are rock songs but I mean just like there were other songs and I don't remember if they were in the movie on the soundtrack album or not but regardless then I was talking to this guy who was who was putting together the the DVD Mm -hmm. and he was looking for extras and he was like, Oh, 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 there's a whole, uh, there's a whole song. There's really, I mean, there's more than this just in the movie. I'm like, yeah, 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 that's a whole song. Oh, well we could use that. And then I, uh, so they took my song, used it as an extra. They had no video of it. So they just used a still picture of (laughs) from the movie of like a record player of a record
0: player. That's great.
1: But I got $5,000. Hey man. (laughs) Yeah. The, which is more than I got for them for the movie it's an and I'm sure it would have been, been more than five I would have gotten from the album too probably
0: know? so so it worked out on the on the DVD side yes. yeah never discount so the d- those out. DVD extras um, so yeah. we, we're talking about film but I, I just wanted to switch gears a little bit uh, from the musical side of film to sort of touch a little bit on uh, you know your, your parallel career uh, as a, a film sound editor now you'd mentioned that before now Uh, you know, you've, in that role, you've sort of worked on also some pretty amazing Academy award-winning films like Chicago and Ron Howard's A Beautiful Mind. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your film sound editing work and what it's like to
1: like sort of contribute to, you know, films of that caliber? Yeah. Well, you know, when I got out of film school and, uh, I wanted to get into editing, um, Aside from writing, I was into editing. Mm-hmm. So the first job I got was just some super low budget thing. I don't even remember what it was. I mean, of course, it's decades ago. No, no. When you say editing, like... you mean film editing, picture and sound. yeah. Right. I mean right. the f- okay. the picture the picture side of it, you know. So the first job I had was like an assistant. I got into assistant. It was like such a low budget thing. I mm-hmm. think I was making two fifty a week or, some, or or nothing. And initially, first I was just making my car fare, but then somebody left and I replaced it. Yeah. Uh, then I met someone, and it's crazy because I, I had someone I had met at a party, and is still my friend, although I, I don't really see him much anymore. But I met somebody at a party, and he eventually got me work as an assistant editor on these Orville Redenbacher commercials. <laughs> cool in the in the late eighties, right? And, um, and then I remember uh, him. I, you know, it was at Mazel's Films. They, you know, they're renowned. They were renowned documentarians. Sure, sure. But then they started making these, you know, cinema verite commercials. Mm-hmm, People mm-hmm. would hire them to bring their, you know, experience with these documentaries. It's like the
0: Maisel brothers, right? Is that their... Right,
1: right, yeah. Albert and David. One guy, you know, did the camera and the other did the sound. You know, they would, that would be their whole crew, you know, when they were doing their cinema verite stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh... Yeah, when I worked there, David I think was not alive. Albert was. Mm-hmm. He lived in the Dakota. I once went to a Christmas party oh, at, wow. his, at his apartment. That's cool. But because uh, I worked there on different things, like freelance, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I even worked on the 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 twenty fifth anniversary Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition <laughs> documentary. Oh boy! And uh, met Cheryl Teagues, uh, L McPherson. Wow. so this was still in a, in a picture assistant or work um, so and I was you know just having having randomly met somebody at a party and all that and so kept happens, in touch right? with them for a few years and, and then from working with an editor that I met at Maisel's, I on the Oval Rodenbarger commercial I, she went on to Pam Wise was her name her, she went on to I edited this documentary about Carnegie Hall, and and working on that, I met this sound editor named Sandy Rackow, and he was going on to work on this Chevy Chase film, Funny Farm, Okay. and uh, he got me on there, which in retrospect was amazing, because I had no experience at that, and didn't really know what I was doing, I didn't even know that I didn't know what I was doing, you know, <laughs> Like I didn't know that I didn't know, like so I wasn't even lying. I just didn't know what I didn't know. You right, know? you, did, you like, had no idea what you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so, um, and then from that, you know, it kind of he a couple of years later after that, I did some video editing for this. Children's show called Eureka's Castle on Nickelodeon mm-hmm. did these short like one minute video shorts, which oh, cool. was a lot of fun.
0: So you you had your hand in the video side of editing as well, as you yeah. Know,
1: so, in, but right. then uh, I got into another sound. Yeah, in the beginning I was I was more in you know wanting to do picture you know, but but uh, I got into uh, another job with the same um, sound editor from. Funny Farm. He mm-hmm. was supervising this uh, film called *The uh, Quick Change*, okay. which has kind of become like a cult thing.
0: Was that was that uh, Bill Murray or something? Oh no,
1: Bill Murray. He's in it and he co-directed it.
0: Right. That was cool. I remember that film. Was he a yeah, clown I, or he, he didn't
1: he, do well at the time? But I mean, it's. Uh, was he dressed seems, as like a clown or something? in that? Yeah, he yes. robs a bank yes. dressed as a clown and then nobody knows what he looked like. Right, right, know? right. I, remember I think, that. I don't even remember. Does he walk out looking like everyone else? They leave maybe dressed as a hostage
0: I don't I don't remember I just remember that the film was good and that it was like you said it wasn't it was like there were a lot of memorable funny like Bill Murray lines in it and there weren't like it wasn't like the kind of thing that it really didn't it wasn't a huge hit yeah I remember that right right? no definitely not
1: but but people quote it now and they love it it's funny because at the time and you know Bill Murray was around all the time because he was the co-director and in fact I I would like jokingly tell people that like he was my brother as so I got the job. Like he changed his name from Bill Mersky when he, when he became famous. Like, and then one time he came into the editing and like waving, you know, wagging his finger like, Bill Mersky. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. So somebody told him about that, but. Uh, yeah, I remember yeah, there was he, a line, he, didn't he, he, he say he
0: was like something welcome clowns. Well, I don't know, I just, remember, there was a bunch of like yeah, really oh, memorable yeah, like lines.
1: In, in, the, in the opening sequence, he's walking past a porno theater or like Show World <laughs> or something. And the guys you know, like lady, you know, whatever, naked ladies or whatever, and then he walks by and he goes, "Clowns welcome, clowns welcome," <laughs> something right. like that. It stuck in my head. Yeah, along along something along those yeah, lines, along those you know. lines. Yeah, that's what the it was. barker, you know, right? The, the barker the guy for the to... theater, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, so, but after that, then I kind of stayed in sound because it's just like more. more there were just more jobs in sound editing, so more I, more I gigs bonfire the vanities and eventually i i hooked up with this uh one supervising sound editor i mean i worked with a variety of people but mm-hmm. uh this one's supervising sound editor maurice shell and i worked with him for about 10 years as his right hand man so and then worked we worked on a bunch of De Palma films a bunch of david mamet wow. directed Amazing. films and uh but i did work with another crew uh uh, that did the Ron Howard movies too, and this that supervisor's name is Chick Chiccolini. So I, I worked with a, a few different groups of people. You know.
0: that's amazing, man. It's just like an amazing sort of. Uh, you've kind of had two really interesting, you know, careers. Uh, you know, on both sides. Uh, you know, in terms of, well, really three, if you think about it. I mean, you you put out a lot of records on your own as as an artist. You've you've done a lot of work for film. Uh, in terms of writing songs, as we were talking about, and you know, and then the whole sound editing thing, you know, it, within these films and academy award winning stuff, I mean, and working with all these great people, it's it's really been it's really pretty cool, you know that you've you've kind of had these and interesting too that you've had these three parallel paths, you know,
1: yeah, and the the weird thing is that for the most part, I didn't get songs in the movies because I was working in movies. They really had nothing to do with it. I mean, there I did get a i one time uh. Music editor that I knew got a song that you know was a pre-existing song and put mm. it in the background of this Robert Altman film called The Company. But other than that, there really wasn't much occasion where the fact that I was in, in film helped me at all. It was just... Uh, just a and in fact, a I, nice... I, I now work at HBO, and that had nothing even to do with me being <laughs> in American Splendor, which was before I worked at HBO. So, And... and uh
0: yeah, it's just crazy, man. It's funny how life works. You know, the more artists I talk to, uh, you know, it's musicians, comedians, whatever, um, actor, you know, you just you find that it's these it's these weird sort of little things that happen in life, um, you know, that that put them in a certain place at, at the right time, and you know, um, and then you know one thing leads to another. It seems to be a recurring theme. I guess it's sort of a recurring theme in in
1: showbiz, <laughs> you know. To be yeah, like, like if I hadn't who gone you know, to you know. If I hadn't gone to school with Todd, Solons wouldn't have You know, it's probably unlikely that I would have ever done anything for film. And then not only that, like that, having had the song in his film, then. In- you know, motivated me to do more music at the time. I had done one album, but I, I might have just gone like, well, I made an album, that's all. I mean, I'm not selling it to anybody anyway, no one is buying it, you know, other than like a few people that I know. So, it, you know, whether I would have done anything more with that at the time, I mean, you know. It all feeds, then, it
0: all feeds off of each other in a weird right, way. Right,
1: then, and, then, and then I got things into more movies and then that made me record even more music and it just, you know. It's
0: amazing excellent excellent and
1: as far as the you know sound editing career i'm saying in the whole my whole career that career if i hadn't gone to a party and met a guy i would would never even have gotten a job probably you know who knows
0: yeah yeah it's good go to those parties man you never know Mm -hmm, you know so hey man i wanted to thank you so much for for doing this um you i know it's you know taking time out of your day to do it and uh it's really you know excellent to sort of hear you know, your your career path, it's pretty unique and, and interesting, like I said, with the sort of parallel things going, again, all sort of feeding off each other. But, um, you know, it was really cool to to hear your story and, and how we go and how you went about things. Um, you know, now, before we wrap things up, I, I know you're going to do a song for us from home. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, what's the name of the tune you're going to do? And you maybe want to, you know, tell us a little something about the song?
1: Sure, I'm gonna do uh, the song "The Weed in Your Garden." Okay, and this is—it's nothing, not an illicit kind of weed. I just want, <laughs> I don't want to get in. right. I we want to get, get that the wrong idea here. Right, right, right. Uh, but uh, and it's off my uh, album, "The Year of the Mouse."
0: Okay, cool.
1: And it's kind of—it uh, fits into our whole discussion about like songs that are both comical in a way and serious at the same time
0: awesome awesome man all right well hey man thanks again so let's do it here's Aitan Mursky with the weed in your garden on queen's creative
2: you never planted the seed but one day i just started to grow hiding my roots in between all the flowers where no one would know soon I was everywhere you didn't want me to be I am the weed in your garden of love you can't You gave the flowers the love and attention that you had to give But you made it clear from the start that you don't even want me to live I've got a beauty inside that I want you to see I am the weed in your garden of love, you can't kill me Can't kill me no matter how you try, no poisons can drive me away. You can get on your knees and uproot me, but I'll grow back the very next day. Soon when the weather gets cold and your delicate flowers are gone. I'll still be here in the garden with you And that's where I belong Someday I'll reach for the sun And grow tall as a tree I am the weed in your garden of love You can't kill me I am the weed in your garden of love You can't kill me, you can't kill me.
0: Huge thanks to Ayton for visiting Queen's Creative and sharing his interesting story. To learn more about Ayton and his work, search the interwebs for E-Y-T-A-N-M-I-R-S-K-Y. Well, that's it for this episode of QC. As I always say, I don't know about you kids, but I had a lot of fun today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods and please visit Queen's Public Television on the web at qptv.org. QPTV can also be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash queenspublictelevision and on Twitter and Instagram, we're at QPTV. Queen's Creative was produced, recorded, and mixed by yours truly with assistance from audio engineer Lee Bessino. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Pasino. Till next time, stay safe out there, folks.